Well, it is a blessing and a joy and privilege to be here with you this evening. Uh, We've been at the Sunday morning service for these last six, seven months or so, and absolutely love our time here at the Vineyard. So uh, it's great to be here. Um, We spent some time, I'm not sure actually if you did here at the Saturday night service or not, but I know Sunday morning we spent some time praying for a gathering of pastors that I just got finished with, and Chris and Mike were part of that. We had about 50 pastors spend three days together up on Mount Lemmon, praying for each other, praying for the city, and it was an awesome time, and we get to experience some of what we want to talk about um, here tonight. And uh, so if you were praying for that, thank you. And uh, if you weren't, I'm sure you would have if you'd had the opportunity. So um, it's interesting how well God works all the different pieces together, just like the last song that we sang. Last week, Chris talked about ask, seek, and knock, and ended the message with a question. What does Jesus want us to ask for? What's Jesus asking for himself? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, one of the things that Jesus is asking for. So if you brought a Bible with you or have one on your phone or other apparatus, I invite you to pull that up. Um, We're going to look at John 17 um, in some depth tonight because it is, first of all, the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Scriptures. So if we want to know some of what Jesus asked for, what was on his heart, this would be a great place to look because it's the longest prayer of his that we have that's recorded. I think the significance grows pretty significantly once we know the context of this prayer as well. Um, Jesus, This is what Jesus was praying within a couple of hours of being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and then giving his life for us on the cross. So he knew what was coming. In fact, it's the reason that he left heaven to come to earth was ultimately to give his life for us. And so when the most important time of his earthly existence was upon him, this is what he was praying. Does that sound significant? (laughs) Sounds pretty important. So, um, again, if you've got your Bibles, open them up, and I'm just going to start reading. We're not going to be able to look at every verse tonight. There's not that much time, but uh, I'm going to pick out a few. So, at the beginning, it says, Jesus looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Jesus knows exactly what's coming. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all of those you have given him. And then verse 3 is perhaps as clear a definition as you'll find in the Bible of eternal life. It says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if you think about where John 17 starts, It does not surprise me in the least that where Jesus begins, where his heart is at, where his mind is at, is he's focused on eternal life. That's what he was about to make possible 
in the ultimate sacrifice of his life. So he's praying about eternal life. And, and in the next couple of verses after that, he prays specifically for those who were around him. Um, there's some debate, and we don't know, of course, but we get some clues in that big section of John between chapter 13 and 17. We know all of it took place on Thursday evening before Good Friday. Some of it could have taken place actually in the Garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested. So it was somewhere in there, either in the upper room or in the Garden of Gethsemane or somewhere in transit. But Jesus was praying about eternal life, and he then began to pray specifically for those he had gathered around him. I want to jump down to verse 9, and I want to ask a question. How many prayers are you aware of in the Scripture or elsewhere where the person praying makes a point of telling you what he's not praying? (laughs) Now, there's plenty of things that maybe we just don't pray, but it's interesting to me that Jesus points out the fact In verse 9, I am not praying for the world. Fairly um, obvious question, why not? (laughs) Um, Why would Jesus not only not pray for the world, but point out in his prayer, I am not praying for the world? Uh, Does he love the whole world? Well, that's you know, a Sunday school question. Yes. <laughs> we know that he loves the whole world. Um, he wants to make eternal life possible for everybody. The most famous verse, the one that shows up on the signs behind the football goalposts, um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. We, Jesus wasn't in disagreement with God. Um, he, he was there too. He loves the whole world. So that's not the reason. Why would he not pray for the world? Well, I believe that he's already said the time has come. This is, this is crunch time. And in those times where time is limited, you have to prioritize. You have to, and, and so you pick what's most important. I believe it was strategic that Jesus was choosing what he was going to focus on. He wasn't going to pray about everything. He was going to pray only about what was most important in that time. And it, I've shared this now so many times in the last three years since I've been doing full-time work on helping get this prayer answered. Um, it, it never ceases to amaze me what Jesus found as the highest priority and the focal point of this prayer. It's down in verse 11. Holy Father, Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one, even as we are one. What was most important to Jesus was the unity of his church. The unity of those who would come after him. Of all of the things that could have been on his heart, That's what he was passionately praying about as he got ready to head to the cross. I find that kind of stunning, actually. Uh, I remember going to an international pastor's gathering sponsored by Promise Keepers in Atlanta, Georgia, in 1996. 
And I remember hearing, um, uh, his name has just left me, Max Lucado. I remember hearing Max Lucado speak at that thing about this message and said, you know, what, was, what Jesus was most concerned about was that his followers would get along. <laughs> that is stunning. Now, if you think that, um, and depending on your level of familiarity with John 17, you might be thinking this. Well, I'm putting a lot of weight on one little phrase there. But if you have read John 17 even once, you know that this is not just one time that this thought crosses Jesus' mind in this prayer. It shows up again and again and again. If you miss it in verse 11, no worries, because it's coming back three more times. Um, there, it is the focus of this prayer, the unity of Jesus' followers. And the rest of the prayer, if we start to look at it from, through that lens, which I believe is appropriate since that was what he was focused on, um, then we get to learn some things about the kind of unity that Jesus was praying for. And the first one shows up right there in verse 11, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus is talking to the Father. Now, are Jesus and the Father identical? No. Um, so it's unity, not uniformity. Jesus is not praying for uniformity. He's praying for the unity of his followers. That we would be one in the same way that God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit are one. Um, it's kind of hard to talk much about the Trinity, and there are several theologians in the room, so I'm not even going to try, because you, you, you get about three sentences in, and somebody can pull out the heresy flag, because if you say very much about the Trinity, somebody's going to say, well, that's heretical. And so, so I'm not going to go for the, uh, the ontological understanding of the Trinity. I'm just going to say, think about it relationally, because I think it will help us as we think about how this unity is supposed to look. When we're suffering, we have a God who can relate to us in so many ways. I think some of the worst suffering is when someone you love deeply is suffering and you can't prevent it. Well, the Father understands that deeply and personally. When you're going through agony yourself, Obviously, that's very hard. You can cry out, my God, why have you forsaken me? And you are right with Jesus. Because he understands that. He went through that. When you want to come alongside someone who's suffering, that's the name of the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the advocate. So the unity that Jesus is praying has many different facets to it with different functions and and it it then makes it a much more relatable body um chris last week talked about his uh comfortable sofa the place where he gets comfortable and uh i was thinking about that i think the unity of the body interaction with other parts of the body is one of the best ways to get out of the comfort zone because you get to interact with parts that are different. I grew up as a uh, and grew up as a Lutheran and was a Lutheran pastor, and that was a more liturgical church. And so we would do liturgical things. And so on Easter Sunday, it was always kind of fun. Lutherans have a different kind of sense of humor. We thought it would always be fun that uh, the first words that you would say on Easter Sunday are 
Christ is risen. And everybody knows to say, he is risen indeed. And the, the uh, real radicals will add alleluia at the end of he is risen indeed. <clears throat> and so um, that would be fun. We'd, we'd meet one another in the hall and say, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And so it was just a way of celebrating Easter. So last Sunday, two Sundays ago, where are we? Two Sundays ago, Easter Sunday, um, <clears throat> we had a citywide um, Easter sunrise service. I was there before I came here. And uh, it was primarily the African-American churches that were leading it, and we asked if we could join them, and that was great fun. And so um, I've gotten to build great relationships with those folks. So they asked me to emcee it. Well, there's your first clue that we're in a different world because I've never emceed a worship service in my life. But they asked me to emcee the worship service. And so I thought, well, it's Easter. Let's try this. Let's see what happens. I don't have any idea what's going to happen, but if nothing happens, if I say Christ is risen and nobody says anything, I can fix that. <clears throat> so, so I thought, well, let's try it. So I, I stand up front, first words, Christ is risen. You know what happened? Everybody at, to a person jumped to their feet and started cheering. <clears throat> That's way better than he is risen indeed. <clears throat> I mean, that's way more appropriate. <clears throat> Wasn't immediately comfortable. I'm like, what was that? <clears throat> we up at the prayer summit. Uh, one of the things that uh, our our facilitator suggested is that as as we work on this unity piece, um, it starts, of course, with love one another. It probably has to grow from love one another to like one another. <laughs> Because it's easy for love one another to just kind of be some concept. You actually have to like one another too as pastors. But then he said we need to get to a place where we need one another. And where we recognize that we need one another. And so that night as we celebrated communion, uh, the facilitator invited us to come and just say, pray out loud, I need, and then you fill in the blank. And what came to me was I need to get to know the parts of the body that are the most different from me. If they're connected to the same head, we're in the same body. So I need to get to know the parts that are the most different from me, the parts that make me uncomfortable. Because we are on the same team. I think that's what Jesus was praying here. Now we get several more qualifiers. Down in verse 15 is the other place in the same prayer where Jesus tells us what he's not going to pray. And he says, I am not going to pray, Father, that you would take these believers out of the world, but rather that you would protect them from the evil one. The, the unity that Jesus is praying for is not a private unity. It's, it's not a, a holy huddle, a, a little Bible club that happens inside the buildings that is great in here, but nobody out there knows anything about it. That's a huge temptation for the church to, to function like a monastery. And in fact, the more we end up loving one another in here, the bigger the temptation is to keep it in-house. Jesus said, I'm not going to pray that. It's not supposed to be a private unity. It's supposed to be noticeable to the world. And when it is um, there's some pretty remarkable things that happen. Um, there's a picture. I think it's the next slide if I put it in the right spot. 
It's hard to see, but I've got my copy back on the uh, table back there as well. Um, what that is, is 80 pastors at Pueblo High School Library because Dr. Sanchez, the superintendent of TUSD, sponsored a pastor appreciation breakfast for the pastors of our city to thank them for coming together and serving schools like Vineyard has served Rothschilds. Now, who would have expected that? <laughs> that a superintendent of a public school district would sponsor a pastor appreciation breakfast in this day and age. Well, it is a direct result of the public unity of the body of Christ coming alongside schools saying, how can we pray for you and how can we help? Um, the next qualifier shows up down in verse 17. Um, the world's understanding of unity is very different, I believe, than Jesus's. Have you ever heard somebody say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere? Ever heard anybody say that? <laughs> is that true? No. <clears throat> that is absolutely not true. Our first couple of Sundays here um, was a worldview series that was taking place here. And John, you were one of the speakers for that talked about the importance of worldview and, and the, whether absolute truth is in your worldview or not dramatically affects how you look at things. If there is no such thing as absolute truth, then yeah, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Well, Jesus puts truth right in the middle of his prayer on unity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he said, sanctify them by the truth your word is truth. So this is not a, a dumbed-down unity that just is like, well, let's all be nice. That's not what Jesus is talking about at all. I, I'm not, in case anybody is wondering, I'm not advocating that mean is better than nice. <laughs> nice is fine, <clears throat> But what Jesus is praying here is that, that the truth of God's word would actually change us and transform us, and that's where unity is going to come from. It's not from putting the Bible on a shelf. It's from actually coming under it in order to understand it. I'm, I'm convinced that when, when a person's pursuit of unity is at the expense of truth, um, they're really not, it's, it's humanist. It's just, let's be kind. Not a bad thing, but certainly not at all what Jesus is talking about. On the other hand, when a person's pursuit of truth is at the expense of unity, I think it has more to do with pride and arrogance than it does with biblical truth. Jesus puts them together. And so when we do the second part of this, which actually is going to be in two weeks, next week's Mother's Day, so I'm not preaching next week, but in two weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about dealing with conflict and challenges to unity. And it actually um, developed very much out of one of these pastor prayer summits just a couple of years ago. So here's another, uh, another qualifier. It shows up down in verse 20. This this prayer for unity, historians will tell you it actually worked because pagan rulers said about the Christians, see how they love each other. 
They, they could not believe that. See how they love each other. It got their attention. But it's not just a first century prayer. Because down in verse 20, Jesus says, My prayer is not just for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now, who's that? Everybody's hand should be in the air right now. (laughs) We are the people who believe in Jesus through their message. Are we not? Every one of us fit in that prayer. I happen to believe that Jesus, in that moment, because he was fully God and fully human, was praying for believers in every century, in every generation, in every locale. I believe he was praying for Tucson, Arizona. I believe he was praying for Vineyard Christian Community in that moment. He was praying that we would be one, that we would be unified in the same way that Father and Son are unified. And it shows up there in verse 20, but it shows up again down in verse 23, so we'll jump to that one towards the end of the prayer. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Remember the world that Jesus said, I'm not going to pray for? (laughs) Well, here they are. Turns out, I believe he's praying for them the whole time. It's just that the way he was praying for them is that the unity of believers would be so profound, so different, so unexpected, and so visible that it would be the way that the world would know the love of God for the Son, the Father for the Son, and the love of God for the world. It's a strategic prayer. Does that make sense? What's kind of cool about that is that when you have no idea where to start, you know, how can I make a difference in the world? Um, well, the unity of the body of Christ is challenging, but it's not particularly complicated. Um, go meet somebody from some other expression of the church. Go have coffee together you're partly answering Jesus' prayer. There's plenty of other things we can do too. But I think that's pretty amazing. And it, again, it just blows me away that that would be the focus of Jesus' prayer. Now, I'm not going to take the time to go into this in great detail, but I believe that the Apostle Paul took that prayer and developed it into an analogy. And we're so familiar with the analogy that we don't even think about it. It's the church is the body of Christ on earth. We say it, it just rolls off our tongue. Body of Christ, synonym for church. We we don't even think about it. But it's intended to be an analogy, a picture of what unity looks like. Unity, Paul writes, is like a body. that has got all these different parts and One part can't say to another part, well, you're a much bigger church than we are, so we obviously aren't very important. And another part can't say, well, we're much bigger than you are, so you're obviously not very important. Or we're this, or we're that, or we're that. But don't we do that all the time in the church? Oh, they've got a better youth group. They've got a better band. They've got, their preacher is amazing. 
uh, much more energetic there. Uh, we, we just do all this kind of stuff. And guess what? The idea that there would be different parts in the body that have built-in strengths and built-in weaknesses, because isn't it true that every part of the body has built-in weaknesses? You know whose idea that was? That would be God's idea. That's his picture of the church. It's got built-in weaknesses, each part of the body. Now, to say that is, requires a paradigm shift. The starting point when you think church, New Testament, is not the local congregation. But the starting point when you think church, according to the New Testament, is the city. And that changes all kinds of things for how we go, how we ought to think about how we do this church business. There's some references that are there that you can look up. You should never just take the preacher's word for it. Um, but I'm pretty convinced that in the New Testament, the starting point when you think church is the entire city. And when you start understanding it that way, then it changes dramatically how we all fit under the one head, Jesus Christ. There's all these different parts. One application of this message, because you know, it, would be, it, would, it would be shameful, it would be wrong if we came away from this and said, oh, let's all cheer for Christian unity. <laughs> Unity's got plenty of fans. Uh, we need some investors. So one aspect of that, and it's just one, is for Tucson, the organization that has been going now for a couple of years. That's hard to see, but it's also available on the brochure that, is, uh, that you should have on your chair or near you. Uh, for Tucson was created to serve as a catalyst to bring Christians together in our city, to partner with every sector and domain of our society based on a common love, common goals, and common good, to make Tucson one of the most livable communities in the world. We, we want to see our city transformed. For those of you who are in college, we want to see it be a place that you want to stay after you graduate instead of a place that you want to leave. We want to see it be a place that would bring honor and glory to Jesus' name. And I believe Jesus wants that too. I believe he prayed that for our city, and I believe that he prayed that the unity of the body was going to be key and instrumental to seeing how that happened. We've got a short little video that can describe in much more condensed time than I can uh, what Four Two Sons about. So we'll show that. Tucson, it's our city, your city, a community unique in history and tradition. It has a rich religious heritage. Father Kino brought the gospel to the region. The Sisters of Carondelet brought healing and care in the name of Jesus. Miracle Mile was named for a revival. Tucson also has unique citizens. We are spirited, independent, and proud. Many would agree it's a great place to live, perhaps the best place to live in the nation. But like most cities, Tucson also has its share of problems, unique to both the community and its people. It has the sixth highest poverty rate among America's largest metro areas. 
It's ranked among the 10 worst business cities in the country. And despite its religious heritage, Tucson has the seventh highest amount of unchurched people in the country. But here's the great news. There is something you can do about it right now. You can join other Christians in making a difference. Together, we can change Tucson, our city, for the better. For Tucson serves as a catalyst to engage the Christian community in bringing about spiritual and societal transformation to our city. While the problems in our city may not be our fault, they are our responsibility. Anyone can point out problems, but unless someone takes responsibility for them, nothing changes. Fort Tucson serves as a foundation upon which people like you and me can be actively a part of the solution. Here's how it works. Every city has three primary sectors of influence. The public sector, which provides services like police, fire, and education. The private sector, which includes corporations, small businesses, and private banks. And the social sector, activities that may include arts, nonprofits, and churches. Within these three sectors, Fort Tucson has identified 12 domains where we can exercise our influence. Business, education, healthcare, justice, church, prayer, sports, environment, social services, philanthropy, government, and media arts. All of these domains work together to create and support a healthy society. The domains are specific areas where we spend a significant amount of time, energy, and resources each and every day. They're the places we work, live, and interact with one another. The domains are areas of interest or passion where we are already personally involved. When looking at the challenges facing Tucson, it's easy to assume there's nothing you can do that will really make a difference. That's simply not true. When you become a part of Fort Tucson, you start by selecting one domain where you're already a part of in the community. You'll then work with other Christians to come up with biblical solutions that are positive and real. One of our programs right now is asking churches of all different size and denomination to adopt a public school from their neighborhood to help these schools in their area of greatest need. Another area we're excited about is building relationships between pastors from Hispanic, African American, and Anglo communities. Often these groups have been isolated from one another, but by coming together, we've been able to address some of the big issues in our community, like immigration and race. By the grace of God, we're experiencing unprecedented progress in uniting the Christian community in Tucson. Other city leaders are watching to see if the Fort Tucson model is successful. And if it is, that model will be implemented in other communities all across the country. When you join this movement, you become the answer to Jesus' prayer for the unity of his followers. When you take responsibility for our community, it gives glory to God and makes Him alive in the eyes of others. God created each of us to make a difference in our generation. We're asking you to do just that by joining us today. For Fort Tucson, I'm Dana Cooper.
Did you notice how cool that was? It was filmed right in front of McHale Center. Go Cats. I think that's kind of cool, personally. <clears throat> the uh, domains, um, I've got on the table back there business cards for the different domain directors who are leading those. We don't have directors for all of them, but we do for nine of the 12. And there are some tremendous stories, and I only am going to take time for a couple of them, of what happens when Christians come together to be the salt and light that God intends. Um, part of the whole picture of Fortusan is that we're not trying to be everything for the body. We're just kind of like the central nervous system. Uh, we are able to help get different pieces connected. So the business domain director is Tony Sims. His office is about 50 feet that way. It's right on this property. Um, work very closely with Randy Reynolds. Um, many of you know Randy, and he, he and I together lead a ministry called Tucson Ministry Alliance. And so, again, it's not about who gets the credit. It's about Jesus being the one who gets the credit. Jerry Payton has sold no more, and they've got their banquet coming up this, this Friday. We're all on the same team. Everybody's got a piece. Everybody's got a part. When the domains come together is when it starts to get even more exciting. Um, I was choking back tears during the compassion video because uh, in 2007, my daughter and I got to go to Tanzania, and there were two amazing things that happened. One of them is that we got to meet our compassion child. And I will never, as long as I live, forget that. Um, incredibly humbling to see how grateful she was for the little tiny bit that we did. The other part of that trip was outside of Singita, Tanzania, met this little guy, Mr. Mongi, who was a walking book of Proverbs. So I would jot down as many things as I could of what he would say. And one of the things that he said has become one of the slogans that we use all the time. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And it's so true. Anybody ever said it's easier to do it yourself? <laughs> do, you know why, do you know why we say that? Because it's absolutely true. <laughs> it is much easier to do it yourself. It's just short-sighted. If we want to go very far, we've got to figure out how to do it together. And so in education, we've got the public schools, we've got the Christian schools like Desert Christian. We we're together need to see education be a strength in our city. When five churches in this area gathered to partner at Ross Scrooge, do you know that their test scores went up an almost unprecedented amount? And the assistant principal credits it to prayer and the Christian community. He did that at the breakfast that that picture was up there. Um, on July 26th, 27th, all over Tucson, we're having the first Bless Our Schools weekend. And churches are going to be blessing schools in neighborhoods all over the city. And we're hoping this becomes an annual thing as we see all of these different pieces start to come together. Because of some of those church-school partnerships and some of these things, one of the people that we work with very closely at TUSD came up to us after our last training event about six weeks ago. And she said, um, I've discovered that I've got this hole in my heart. And and I don't know what it is, but I do know that when I'm around you Christians, 
it gets filled. But as soon as I leave, you Christians, I don't know how to maintain it. (laughs) It's kind of like Peter with Cornelius. It's like, we're here waiting for you to tell us the gospel. Those are the kinds of things that are happening. When you put the media arts domain together with the prayer domain, one of the things you get is city psalms. And some of the songs we're going to sing here later, one or two of them, are off of the city psalms album. Prayers written by worship leaders in our city for our city. I love that album so much that this is a miracle. Driving across Tucson is enjoyable for me. The potholes do not bother me as much. They still bother me a little, but not as much. It's actually working. Mayor Rothschild at a government domain breakfast a couple of weeks ago said, um, the, the government cannot solve all of the city's problems. When a government official says that, <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> we need your help, he said to all of these Christian leaders in the city. The Pima County Director of Child Protective Services, which is now under a different name. But if there's ever a group of folks that are hurting and in trouble, it would be folks who work in CPS. They have a thankless job, and they do not get thanked by anybody. She asked for a meeting with us, and here's what she said. We've heard how you've adopted some of the schools do you think you could adopt our offices and our workers in the same way? Because we can't fix what's broken. We need your help. So we talked about that with the pastors up on the mountain, and I had a couple of guys step forward and say, we want to lead that charge. So they've already got folks volunteering to be chaplains for these poor CPS workers who've never had anybody to talk to in the middle of all of this. That was one of their requests. We, would, we just need chaplains. I hope that, that you'll, I, I don't care whether it's with Fort Tucson or not, but I hope that you will be intentional about, about partnering and being a part of the answer of Jesus' prayer. If you want to know how that's happening around the city, this little brochure, there's a tear-off on the back, and I just have to give fair warning. Every time I do this, I I give two words of caution. There's a little tear-off, and we invite people to partner financially. If you're able to do that, because Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also, do not take the money from what you would give to the church. That would be counterproductive in the highest order. And if God has already put on your heart to sponsor a compassion child, do that. Don't take it from other ministries. But if there's, if there's some money that you want to invest in Christian unity, cool. Um, that would be, that'd be an opportunity. On the back, there's a whole bunch of domains. And here's the other word of caution that I want to give. Um, we're still just in the ramping up stage, and there's already a lot of stuff going on around the city. So I just need to tell you, if you check, well, I'm, I like basketball, so I'm interested in the sports domain, and I pray, I'm interested in the prayer domain, I go to church, church domain, social services, that sounds good, social services domain, um, healthcare, I got sick once, healthcare domain, and so 
So you check all these different domains. I just need to tell you, you will get more email than you ever wanted in your life if you check a whole bunch of domains. So you've been warned. <laughs> Don't complain if that happens. Encourage you to pick the one that you're most passionate about, and you can change it later if you want. There's some more resources back on the table afterwards, and be glad to share some more stories with you as well. As we prepare to enter into a time of worship and, and communion, you know what communion means. It's common union. And I believe every time we commune, we're not just communing with the other people in the room. We're communing with every part of the body of Christ around the city, around the country, around the globe, and from every generation. It's one other way we get to be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer. So if you guys would like to come on up and lead us in some time of worship, the communion table is open. And as you do, I just want to pray. God, we are so thankful for what you are doing in this day and age. It has become a commonplace question. And this is a miracle, having been born and growing up, growing up in Tucson. It's a miracle that pastors and churches and Christian organizations and non-Christian organizations are starting to ask the question, how could we do this together instead of everybody doing what's right in their own eyes? God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would breathe even more life into this prayer that you prayed for our city. And we pray, God, that you would show us tangible ways that we can be part of the answer to Jesus' prayer. Thank you for giving your life for us to make eternal life possible in heaven and right here on earth. Unite us together with all parts of the body as we celebrate and remember that gift. In Jesus' name.